0: replace your heating and air system we know people want options that's why you'll always get a free second opinion with bj heating and cooling plus for a limited time get zero percent financing for 60 months on a new bryant system
1: Call the experts you can trust at bj heating and cooling
0: heard of jumping from job to job how about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment
2: Rhythm starts to play. Dance with me. Make me sway. Like a lazy ocean hugs the shore. Hold me close. Sway me more. More
3: V Show with Bob Valvano is now. Right here. On ESPN 680 and
1: 105. Way with me. Way with me. What happened? I don't see any phones. I gotta call Dan. I went to call and I dialed the wrong number. Why don't we put that guy on? Do,
2: do, do,
1: do, 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 do. Texter, worth reading because I couldn't agree with you more. Kenny Klein is a class, wonderful, wonderful act. Many years ago, I coached Kenny Klein's son in Little League. What a class and kind guy, no doubt. Nobody's ever done it better than he has. Although they're in good hands with Zach. Zach is doing a really good job. Uh, Second, the coaching behavior is crazy. Watching both Cal and Pearl go an ape spit on the referees on Saturday with nothing happening to them to me is crazy. When as a high school coach, all, all we hear is the reason we don't have referees is because of the behavior of coaches. I see middle school and elementary school coaches mimicking the behavior of these college coaches and losing their minds when the referees don't put up with it in a third or fourth grade game. They need chill on the bench. Goodness. Yeah, I, I, that's been talked about ad you know ad nauseum. Let's bring uh, Dan Bonner, who coached for a while, played, broadcasts. Dan, has the coaching behavior gotten any worse, or have they given them more latitude, or would now you know, anytime there's more money involved, people are hesitant to do certain things. Is it is it crazier than it's been, or just business as usual? What do you think?
3: Well, I think that in certain aspects, it's crazier than it's been. Okay, Bob, because I think that. I've never seen coaches so far out on the floor. True, Uh, You know, there's been, you know, they just, they keep going further and further. You know, you're supposed to stay in the coach's box. Well, nobody does. Right. And you're supposed to get warned if you go out of the coach's box. And very rarely does anybody get warned. And it's not that they're out of the coach's box on the sideline. They're out of the coach's box on the court. You're true. And we've seen instances where, you know, players have to avoid them. And uh, so, I just think coaches are running around. They're much more active, um, and, you know, they're yelling at the referees, but that's that's what happens. They yell at the referees. I don't think that part of it has gotten any worse. But in terms of bench decorum, which is supposed to be a point of emphasis, if we're trying to emphasize that, we're missing the mark.
1: That's interesting you say that. I, and the crazy thing is a lot of these guys like you, I've gotten to know, I wouldn't say we're you know, going, going bowling together, but I think we're on friendly terms. And like, I don't know if you saw the game against Tennessee, but Buzz Williams, who is, he's very nice to me. I like Buzz a lot. But he literally ran out on the court while the game was going on. One of the Tennessee players had to avoid him, run around him, and didn't get called for a And Rick Barnes was like, how in the world? That should be an automatic tea? He could have come out to deliver you coffee, and it's still an automatic tea. You can't go walk out to the mid-court circle. And the question I have is, why do you suppose they're so reluctant to do it? Is it because they're afraid? I know they get evaluated all the time, and obviously they're all trying to get to do games in the NCAA tournament, but I don't see how that would work against them unless you think the coaches would have some sort of say. They would call the office and say, look, this Dan Bonner, don't put him on my games anymore. He's terrible. I don't know what the motivation would be because my experience with officials is if they feel you'll back them up, They'll make people toe the line. Do they feel like nobody's got their back?
3: I think that that's exactly the case, Bob. That's the only thing it can possibly be. I've thought the same thing. Uh, coaches just simply can't be out on the court. Uh, and that's, you know, if they are, it's got to be an automatic technical foul. I agree with you 100%. Somebody is going to get hurt. And the most likely person to get hurt is the coach. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> the coaches tend to be older and smaller and not quite in as good a shape as the people who they might run into. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that that part of it has gotten completely out of hand. And I, to be honest with you, I have wondered this. I do not know why the conferences or the end state. I don't know why it's tolerated.
1: It's, uh, it is, is something that, you know, as as we get the as the college game gets more professionalized, I'm not even sure that's a word, but I'm using it. You know, there's some things about it that might trouble some people, but one of the things actually that's pretty good is, you know, the NBA coaches don't get like that. You don't see them running out on the court. They, in fact, I think they get less respect from their players if they lose their minds. I you know, I, I think that. The behavior of college coaches doesn't fly in the NBA. It's why Brad Stevens became like the prototype NBA coach when he went from Butler to the Celtics because he looks like a guy who's just going to his next accounting class, you know? And that, and frankly, I think the players react to that better at the pros than they do if you're out there. You know, I loved Roly Massimino, God rest his soul, but, you know, running out with his hair all looking like Albert Einstein, his shirt out in the back. I mean, I don't think pro guys react to that. So I don't know why they don't feel they can apply that to the colleges.
3: Well, Bob, because the college game is a coach's game. The pro game is a players That's game. true. That's uh, true. And I mean, the college guys, and I mean, I think it's more a coach's game now than ever before, because it used to be, we could tell from one year to the next, who was playing on college teams. Uh, and now we can't. <laughs> now yep. We got to look up the rosters every year. Uh, and so the one person who is a constant for a college uh, is a coach. And your point about the demeanor of coaches is absolutely right. And, you know, Rick Pitino didn't have great success over long-term in the NBA because the NBA players just don't, won't, won't put up with that. Uh, and so I just think that, you know, it's just, coach. that's just the way coaches have always been. And I think it's getting worse. I think there's more pressure on the coaches and, uh, you know, and you and I have talked about this in pre- previous shows. Coaches in college don't have a chance to build teams, to build programs anymore because of the way everybody moves around and the way we measure things. They don't have a chance to build a team anymore. They got to be good right from the get go or they're in deep trouble. Uh, and I just think everybody's really frustrated and everybody's really angry. And, uh, you know, I, I, but I don't think they ought to go out on the court.
1: No, I, well, you know, no, I, I, listen, this is not, now I'm turning it into a sociology of sport class, which I taught for a while and I love, but I respect your opinion on it. And here's the thing that I'm struck by uh, I mean, presidents, is, you know, the, the, to some degree, I mean, they. The, I'm not suggesting none of them know anything about sports or anything like that, but I don't think many of them, there's not a lot of ex, you know, great athletes or anything that became school presidents. And because of that, I think they tend to give their coaches way too much latitude. They really do. I mean, they, the arrogance that comes with the, the, the coaches, uh, football especially, but basketball too, largely, in my opinion, stems from the fact that the, the presidents like getting that check. They like what those guys bring in and they don't really understand what they do. So they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I guess, you know, that's just the way you do it. You know, they just you, you got to kind of put up with that kind of stuff. And and I think that's as the money's only gotten bigger and bigger. I think the the, the leash has gotten longer and longer. So now they can do damn near anything they want. And I, and I just think that that's I don't think that's good for 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 anybody because it's a it's. Um, Kind of the tip of the iceberg. Listen, I get it. College sports are professional sports right now. It's business, and that's fine. I, that's a, whether I like it or you like it, we have to deal with the reality. But when that becomes the be-all and end-all, you get this kind of stuff where the coaches get disproportionately influential. And the players now, frankly, have too much power. It's craziness. I mean, I don't know if you heard this. I've, I've said this so many times in the last week because it stuns me. I think Arch, Archie Manning's grandson, who's, I guess, a backup quarterback in the Big 12, quite literally made this past year three times the amount of money that Brock Purdy made, the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl. And he's a backup. He's a backup in the Big 12. His NIL deal is like $1.4 million, and Brock Purdy gets like a rookie deal. He's getting like 400000 I mean, I don't know about you, but that to me says, I don't begrudge the kids anything, but this thing's out of whack.
3: Well, it is out of whack and I don't I don't begrudge the kids anything either because all that money that we're talking about, all that money, the college presidents for years and years and years just hoarded it and spent it.
1: True. And
3: and resist and you can say, Well, the NCA did this, but the NCA is the colleges. Right. And any time the college presidents wanna change something, they can. Now they gotta to get together and do it, and it's hard for any group of people in this country to get together about anything. But the whole the thing is out of whack because uh, the colleges had opportunities over the years to divvy up the money and parcel out a little bit to the players. And, you know, that they have had, there's been many thresholds along the way here that the college presidents just wanting to keep all the money have blown right through. And so that's why we are where we are. I don't begrudge the kids anything, but you're right. The whole thing is completely out of whack.
1: I, I want to play this, and I've not heard it. Nick, you might want to hear this as well. This is uh, – and, again, I give the disclaimer. He may not believe it because I've kind of been a little harsh on him. But I really do like and respect Rick Petino. He's a brilliant coach. He's a lot of fun when he's away from you know, the, the, the arena. He's generous. He's funny. I've played golf with him. But I, I, I thought that what he did the other day was – I don't think it's been blown out of proportion. I think it's really inexcusable. I mean, he basically blasted his employer, ripped his staff, threw all his players under the bus, and everybody who wants to defend him says, well, you just got to take the good with the bad, and I guess some of that's true, but you know, you dealt with a guy who would never behave like that, Terry Holland, and he then managed to win some games and did okay, so I don't know that that's the only way to do it, but anyway, he's not here anymore. He's in New York, and in New York, they don't give a rat's ass, and so Chris Russo... Kind of blasted him a little bit. Take a listen to this and give your reaction. Here we go
2: set because they blew another lead to Seton Hall on Sunday afternoon. They had a 19-point lead in the first half. They have blown leads left and right and then Rick, after the game, basically takes a hammer and pounds everybody. Hates the facilities. My team stinks. The most unenjoyable year I've ever had in the history of college basketball. We have no athletic movement. We can't move latterly, laterally. We fouled too much. And He took back the comment yesterday, but Rick, 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 you came to St. John's. You were extolling how great you were at the beginning of the year. You lose a bad game to evening. How about you, got a way to get a basket at the end of the game there. Quarter time out, want to play, get a hoop. He lost a close game to Providence. You blew Leeds. You blew a game at Creighton. I mean, enough already about Rick here burying everybody at St. John's. St. John's has been bad forever, and he's killing the facilities. Rick, stay at Iona. I mean, I love Patino. He's a great coach, but my gosh, that was a horrendous look. Killing a bunch of 19-year-old kids. You took the tires. And now you're not, he killed his coaches when we did a lousy job recruiting. Right. What? Right. Rick, what are you kidding me? Right. I mean, come on, you're the the NCAA tournament. Rick, how about you take the responsibility? You know what? I've done a lousy job. i got to do better. This is unacceptable. We've had a good year and then all of a sudden we've collapsed. Blame it on me. I'm making $10 million a year. I was shot by Patino.
1: <laughs> well, Chris, how do you really feel?
2: <laughs> wow.
3: What do you. Yeah, what? You know, if, if Chris wasn't such a reserved and conservative guy, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> you know all the hyperbole aside in that the bottom line on it is I read a very interesting article. I think it was by Dana O'Neill in the athletic okay. uh, talking about how if you go back through Rick Patino's history at Boston uh, at uh, Louisville uh, at Kentucky, that when he starts in the place, he does this all the time. Now this is, this is really over the top what he did here, but you know, one of the criticisms, and, you know, again, I don't want to be too harsh on Rick Petino. I don't know him. Uh, I've dealt with him a couple of times. Uh, I don't think he would know who I was if he ran over me with his car, and that's okay. I don't care. If he
1: loses but, the game, he might just do that, by the way. Sorry. Go ahead, Amy.
3: Well, that's true. I'll stay out of the way. But one of the things is this is a pattern that he has, and you know, when things are going bad, he's got bad facilities and bad players. But when things are going well, he'll tell you what a great coach he is. And that's the thing that bothers me more than anything else. Uh, you know, okay, so you're in a tough spot. Well, don't bury the kids. You know, I don't care whether it's about, you know, killing the facilities and his employer. You know, he knows he can get away with that. They, you know, rushed to get him. Uh, but... I just, I just don't agree with killing the kids. I just, I just
1: don't. Well, especially do you, you, you brought them there. I mean, it wasn't like they handed them to you. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. just.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like you know anybody put a gun to his head and said you got to get these you know bring these people there. Uh, but Bob, you coached for a long time. Isn't part of coaching figuring out what you have and then how to be successful with it?
1: Well, I mean that's you know listen I. Somebody's texting me. Oh, leave Rick alone. St. John's is lucky he's there. They are. I mean, they are lucky he's there. They got a they got a Hall of Fame coach. You'd be crazy to think they don't say, "Boy, we're very fortunate." As bad as they've been, but your doesn't alter. Okay, take a breath and have a little sorbet, cleanse the palate. This is a kind of different topic. Yes, that's true. Now let's talk about the method in which he goes about doing things. And you're right; it's not his forte is to talk about how you know we can overcome things or make the best of things. He just he told me once and I think this is really the key to understanding what he does, is when they lose, he wants everybody around him to be absolutely miserable. I mean, he does. he does. And if they're not, he's going to make them miserable because his belief is... <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, because his belief is that's going to motivate them to not want to go through this again. So the next game that comes up, they will kill themselves to keep from losing because they don't want to put up with this again. And, and that's a way to do it, I suppose. I'm just suggesting it's not the only way. And I also think that you can do that without... You know, doing quite this extent of things where you throw your players under the bus. I don't know how you. I mean, you were a player. I wasn't the player you were at that level, but I still played. I, how do you go out and play the next day? <laughs> I mean, when you know the guy thinks that you're dog crap. <laughs> that's what he's basically now, told you know, people.
3: That, 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 Bob, that's a very good question, and I have watched coaches and their behavior for years and years, and I have never understood why some people choose to play for some coaches. Uh, and it's, it's all a matter of personal preference, I guess. But, uh, I just, I don't agree with that, th- that approach. You said it very well. Uh, my coach in college was somebody who, uh, I mean, he would never think of doing anything like that. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of coaching style that I prefer, that I would, I preferred as a player that I, I prefer to watch now, uh, that I respect more. But that doesn't mean, you can't be successful doing it other ways. There are people in the Hall of Fame who have been absolute saints, and there are other people there who have been absolute jackasses.
1: True. And, That's true. You know, the,
3: And the whole thing is, can you win games? And if you can win games, you said it right at the start of this conversation, if you can win games, then you can basically get away with about anything. Uh, and so I just, you know, I, I don't want to bury Rick Petino, but – this I thought Dan O'Neill's article was very good. It's, it's, it's a pattern of behavior. It has existed since he took over at Boston university. Uh, And despite the fact there was one guy, I think his name was Stephen Wright, maybe at Boston university that he came in and he just buried the guy. And then the next year, the guy was, you know, all league and they've retired his number at BU. uh, And he played for Patino. So, you know, maybe that does motivate people, uh, but it's it
1: wouldn't motivate me. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's fair enough. I think it's, you know, I remember watching going to one of uh, uh, Gene Barto's practices, and and I forget who they were playing, but they were playing somebody. I really really wish I could remember. And their practice uh, was just. Uh, oh my God! It was like uh, uh, watching the Guns of Navarone, loud and screaming and yelling and 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 they went out and then uh, 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 Gene. And came out, and his favorite line was, I contend. That's what he would say. I can, I contend that if we throw the ball to the corner here, we're going to have a guy wide open in the post. And I was like, We're not in a library, Gene. What are you doing? You know, but they played and he won and he built programs everywhere he was. He went to the final four. I mean, so, you know, you're right. It's different strokes for different folks. I just, I wonder sometimes when. The we we the line gets so blurred. Like yes, you have to let the coaches get animated. Yes, I don't have a problem with the yelling. I don't have a but. Again, does that mean they can do anything they want? No, clearly doesn't. Yes, you know the coaches. He's frustrated. He wants to win. His own son says he's the worst loser in the world. I don't think that's any badge of courage. But okay. But you know, shouldn't you uh, have some kind of, if not internal, a uh, uh, parameter. Somebody should be able to do that, but they don't. The athletic directors and presidents, man, they don't bring anybody in, basically. They let them do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> just
3: well, Bob, they have to. They have to because the presidents and the athletic directors, they're worried about raising money. And if, you know, a guy is – or it, it could be a, a female coach, too, uh, the way women's basketball has started to take off. If they're out there making money for you and True. they do something – They do something that maybe is a character flaw or something. You say, oh, boy, that's just a nasty thing to do. It's okay. As long as they're winning, they're making money. If you got rid of that person, then the boosters would be all upset, and then you'd lose money. And so the relationship between presidents and athletic directors and their coaches to my mind, strikes me a lot like the relationship between the coaches and the players in the NBA. In the NBA, the players are running things, and in college basketball, the coaches are running things.
1: Yeah, I, I do think though that that's a danger. I because I, I agree with you. There's a bunch of coaches that I really believe, if you game a lie detector test, would tell you that if I win enough, nothing else matters. But I don't think that's. I think we've got a couple of cases where you find out that's not true. I mean, I think at the end of Bob Knight's tenure at Indiana, even arguably Rick's tenure here, you you just can't inoculate yourself from from things just by winning. At some point, you have to have some awareness at least of, um, you know, how the perception is or some things beyond that. And I, But I do think they believe that. If I just come in and win, you know, it reminds me of baseball players said once, I forget who it was. I don't think his name was told. I think that's why it was under anonymity. They were, it was all during the steroid era. And they asked him, you know, why did you, because he was one that had confirmed that he was doing it, but he, as I said, didn't give his name. And he said, why did you do it? He said, well, because the way I look at it is this. If I play and it goes uh, three years or even two years, I think he said, without detection and I'm hitting 50 home runs and 54 home runs and then I sign a five-year contract for $100 million, um, who cares if they suspend me at that point? I'm set up for ten lifetimes, <laughs> so it was like, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of true. same philosophy.
3: And but Bob, I would, I would, I would only question you on one point. There, you know, you talked about the end of Bob Knight's tenure at Indiana. Well, that wasn't the end of him as coaching. He went to coach someplace else. Well,
1: it's not the end and of Rick Pitino's career either. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Yeah. You know, he goes someplace else, and now you know he's, you know, with all the stuff that went on. Uh, at Louisville, then he's hired by Iona, you know, aren't they like a Catholic school? Uh, And, you know, then by St. John's. And so you can certainly understand how somebody could feel like if you just win enough, you can do anything because, and you, I'm not going to mention any names, but you can run down a list of people who have done things both professionally and personally that would ruin you, uh, would ruin me. Uh, but they're back. They're coaching someplace else now. They yeah. lost the job they had, but they're coaching someplace else now. Uh, so I think, I think that for the most part, you got to do something really, really bad. Yeah,
1: you got to be. I mean, without sounding like I'm being too uh, flip, you got to be like an accessory to burnt murder, like Dave Bliss. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. That was that was the name that just popped into my head. I mean that it's gotta be something that's that bad. And if yeah. it's that bad, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> then you're probably not gonna coach anymore. But otherwise, if you win enough, that covers for everything. Yeah,
1: that's true. Can't argue that. Did I uh, I saw you on the tube last night. You were in Tallahassee, is that where you were?
3: Yeah, I was in Tallahassee last night.
1: Did so. you did you drive?
3: No, 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 no. That is a little bit outside my
1: brain. <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't sure. I have a producer for my ESPN radio games that I swear, like, we're going to Arizona this weekend. He's not going to drive there, but he drives damn near anywhere else. I mean, it's unbelievable. He's going, he lives in Connecticut, and he drove to Kansas. He drives to Oklahoma. He's just like, yep, I rent a car, and I just go.
3: Again, so. my, mine, I try to look at where I'm going and figure out. With the fact that I have to drive two or three hours to even get to an airport where I can go anywhere, right? Uh, That given that, and given the fact that I can rarely fly any place direct, uh, I I got particularly like in the ACC. It's like that's hard, you know. I can't fly direct to Syracuse, true. uh, For and so by the time I go to an airport and I fly someplace and I wait for a layover and then I fly to Syracuse and then I pick up a car and all that kind of stuff. By that point, I can be there because Syracuse, I, I'm right on Interstate 81. So Syracuse, I get in a car and seven hours later, I'm in Syracuse mm. and I decide when I'm going and when I'm not. Uh, so but there's, you know, that's seven, seven and a half hours. That's about my limit. Uh, now, I have. I have driven in the past to Tallahassee through some emergency situation. I couldn't get a flight or something, and that's a 13-hour drive.
1: Ooh, that's a haul. Wow, I didn't realize it was that far. Yikes. So
3: I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I don't drive to Boston. I, I did. Uh, Rob Reichley from Raycom and Jefferson Pilot one time. There was a big snowstorm coming up, and all the equipment was there, and the teams were there because they had all left early. And so he said to me, He said, would you please drive up there? And I said, well, Rob, if I drive up there, I'm going to get stuck up there. And he said, yeah, yeah, but then you can get back. And so I did that. And it was like 12 hours, 13 hours to Boston.
1: Wow. Now you talk about taking one for the team. That's impressive.
3: Well, and I I did get snowed in, but I took my shovels and everything. I was (laughs) able to dig myself out. And in Boston, unlike around here, they know what to do with snow. So you weren't stuck for very long. Unless you were trying to get out of the airport.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a good point, because I did. I think I've told you a story. I did a game at Syracuse about six years ago, I guess. It was a Saturday afternoon game, so we tipped off at noon, and when we went in, it was just flurrying, just sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. And by the time we'd gotten out, like three feet of snow had fallen. It was unbelievable. I opened the door, and I almost had a heart attack. And this was Saturday afternoon, and I couldn't and, – and like you said, they – you know, they're prepared for snow up those parts. So, you know, you wouldn't think it would paralyze them. I couldn't get out until Tuesday night. I had to spend three days there. And I'd only packed for a day because I thought I was going to do the game and fly home. So I tell everybody I got home. They said, when did you become such a Syracuse fan? I had to buy, like, all Sy- Syracuse stuff in the <laughs> gift shop in the hotel just so I had clothes to wear. So I came home. I had, like, <laughs> sweatshirts and pants. And it was like, yeah, that was... Uh, that Bob, was-
3: Bob you, shouldn't, you shouldn't tell stories like that because... Your listeners will – they imagine what you do is all glamour. Uh, you know,
0: you're
1: <laughs> yeah, not, No, no, no. I'll never forget. God bless my wife, who I love dearly. She came on the road for one trip with me, recruiting, actually. This was before getting into broadcasting. And, um, you know, and, and you know how what that was like, especially when you were at the smaller colleges like I was. You're trying to stretch every nickel. So we were covering, like, the whole state of – We started in like New England and we wound up in Pittsburgh. And we had a bunch of games that we had to see all along the way. And like at the beginning, she was like, "Oh, this will be exciting, you know, we'll be on the road, and we'll see Boston, and then we'll see Pittsburgh." And by like Thursday, the front seat of the car was covered in fast food drive-through bags. <laughs> we stayed. She was like, "I'll never do this again." I said, "Well, you know, welcome to my world, kid. This is what we do." Uh, so, what what'd you take away from last night? Syracuse at times has looked really good, and I got to tip my hat to Leonard. I mean, I don't. A lot of people didn't think he had very much at the beginning of this year, and probably I was in that boat. And yet they're eight and seven, fourteen and twelve overall, and uh, they got a big win. And um, I mean, I don't think anybody's looking at those teams to be making a, a deep March run. Not even maybe necessarily in the tournament. But um, I don't know. To me, it kind of typifies the ACC, which is. A lot of competitive teams in the middle there. And on any given day, uh, you got a couple at the top that seemingly have separated themselves and a couple at the bottom that are pretty far behind, but it's it's a lot of middle-aged spread here in this league, huh?
3: Well, I think there is, but I would I would go one step further and like one of the teams that is down at the bottom is Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech, well, you know, they've beaten Duke and North Carolina and Clemson, and I don't think anybody else in the league has beaten those three teams. True. But Georgia Tech has uh, and I, I agree with you. You know, Florida State is a is a strange team. Uh, depending on the seeding that they play themselves into in the ACC tournament, you know, they could actually win that thing uh, because that's just that's just the way they are. I mean, they beat a Boston College team that was playing pretty well last night without a couple of their best guys. Uh, so, it, but it's just it's a fascinating league to me. Uh, and you know, you talk about teams and what they do. I was very surprised. You know, Pitt was playing really well, and they went into Wake Forest last night. And Wake, of course, is really good at home. And Wake beat them by 33. And did you look at the net today? No. Wake Forest, at the start of that game yesterday, was 40 in the net. Do you want to take a hazard at what they are today?
1: No. Educate me. What
3: 26.
1: Wow. That's a pretty good leap.
3: Well, that's like a great leap. Uh, so that means that people who now have beaten Wake Forest at home now they're 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 sitting they're looking at a quad one win uh, because Wake Forest is now 26 and Pitt. The interesting on Pitt, this you know this goes along with what we talked about before that Pitt before that game they were 47 now what and are after they? the game they're 56.
1: So they went down nine spots, so they are. So uh,
3: that's just that's you know that's that's what you know our old theory, my theory about how it's totally dependent or tremendously dependent on you know the score. Uh, yeah. But it's I just think I just think the Atlantic Coast Conference is a very strong league. Uh, you do because
1: you, know, you know you know the, the the narrative is it's not that strong this year. You know that I mean so
3: yes, and I know that, and the narrative has been it's not been that strong for the last couple of years. But the narrative is based on the fact that. We start talking about the NCAA tournament literally five minutes after it ends one year. We have – somebody's got brackets <laughs> out for the next
1: year. True. And, so,
3: and that, that's true. That's true. And we're going all summer, you know, the brackets are changing and all this kind of stuff. And so we get to the point where we, we claim we're doing all this scientifically. You know, they actually uh, – and God bless Joe Lenardi, He's my hero. who used to just do this for fun. At St. Joe's around the water cooler, and now he's like he's invented a word
1: in the English language. Oh, and and now all—and what makes me laugh is now all the other sports services have their own resident bracketologists. I mean, it's like they all have one now.
3: The whole industry that has been created, and it's all supposed to be scientific, and that's part of the problem that we have. This kind of thing—I don't care what you say—it is subjective. And you can try to put the square peg in the round hole all you want and say, "Wow, well, you know, we're going to be objective with this. We're going to get measurements. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> you know, your measurements are things that subjective people devise. And so it's just, if you watch an Atlantic Coast Conference game, you know, there are good teams. I think, you know, we're talking about Florida State. Let's just stick with them for a minute. They are a team that if they could somehow get into the NCAA tournament, and to do that they have to win the ACC. I acknowledge that, the ACC tournament. But if they could somehow get into the NCAA tournament, I think the way they play would befuddle people, and I think they might win two or three games.
1: Well, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, you don't have, you, if you're playing a team you're not used to seeing, uh, and especially if they manage to win that first game, the team they have to play the second day has basically one day to prepare for them. So, you know, it's one of those deals that if they can win one, they might very well win two. So, you know, you're right. That's, uh, that seems to be a lot of the story, the narrative in the NCAA tournament is how the, what the matchups are and, and how Absolutely. equipped you are to deal with them.
3: Absolutely. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I think that, and, and and Wake Forest, for example, you know, good heavens, you don't want to catch them on a good day. Well,
1: you aren't you aren't kidding about that. They they have looked sometimes so good. They are the only team in the conference that's undefeated at home. They're fourteen and zero at home, but they can't play on the road. They're one of the worst teams in the league on the road. They're two and seven on the road. That's kind of weird. I mean, Will you,
3: you tell me how a team like Wake Forest can score ninety one points against Pitt? But manage only 47 against Virginia. Well, I know Virginia, I know Virginia is, is a very good defensive team, but Wake Forest is a heck of an offensive team. And they go to Charlottesville and they lose that game. They only score 47 points. They held Virginia to 49 and Virginia shoots one of 11. From the free throw line.
1: Uh, oh, my God. I, think, I didn't even realize that they were one of 11 at the free throw line. Yeah, they
3: were one of 11. They were one of 11. And they the, the, they didn't – the last, The only free throw they made was the last free throw that that McNeely kid made to seal the game. Oh, my uh, God. So up to that point, they had been 0 for 10. And, you know, I don't know why Tony Bennett, why his hair isn't entirely gray or has <laughs> totally fallen out. You know, that would, that would drive any coach out of your mind but I so it's just it's a very interesting league you know NC State is a very curious team they beat Clemson at Clemson but then they lose to Syracuse so I again I think NC State they're not going anywhere unless they win the ACC tournament but with the players that they have they could they could win a couple of games in the NCA
1: tournament so yeah I, you know I just think it's I think when I set this up, I said that uh, that they beat uh, Syracuse. Obviously, Florida State beat Boston College. I know that. But Syracuse did beat NC State at NC State. And I do mean – they are. They strike me as Boston College esque in a way. That, I mean, I really love the offense that Earl Grant runs. I really do. And those kids like to pass, and and they got that great, uh, you know, the 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 um, the X factor if you want to call it that. Because uh, when you got a big guy who shoots uh, like they do, um, I mean, my goodness, they they can be really dangerous. But then. You know, they've had some mystifying, um, mystifyingly inept losses along the way, too. So um, I don't know. I mean, I guess if there's a question and all that, when you talk about Florida State, you talk about them as a dangerous team. Even though you know they have a, a post who is a good three point shooter, he wasn't last night. He was zero for three, but he's he's still. I, I really you know he's so versatile. And Zachary killed Louisville. He was great against Louisville. Madsen was four of eight behind the three point line. They have offensive tools, but I I I'm struck that you don't think they're a particularly dangerous team. Why not their defense or what is it about them?
3: So BC. Yeah. I just you know I think that. For a guy who is as multi-talented as Quentin Post, I've just seen, uh, I haven't seen him in person that much, but I've watched a lot of games on tape. I just think it's a little too easy to take him out of the game. Uh, There are times where I think that he allows himself to be taken out of the game. And Mm -hmm. I I thought the game against Florida State last night was an example of that. You know, Florida State switches all the time. Yeah, right. And, you know, so... You set one screen and now suddenly there's a 6'4 guy guard. Right. And it's, he just didn't seem to me to aggressively seek out that double team, seek the ball in the low post. Uh, so, and I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming everything on him. That's, that's obviously not true, but I just think Boston College has, has too many holes. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like they're a team that, uh, is, has the potential to win the ACC tournament because, you know, that loss last night to Florida State, that sort of buried them a little further into Tuesday night at the ACC tournament. And, you know, if you start on Tuesday, it's going to be hard to go all the way through and win that.
1: Yeah, there's no question. So who's, uh, um, who's dangerous in your mind? Uh, uh, what do you make of, before I, that's kind of too general a question. Let's get specific. I really love Tony Bennett, and I love the support the program gets down there. But, I, I mean, it's the same thing his father resented, because he took Wisconsin to the Final Four, and everybody was just berating him, because they were beating everybody like 51-48, and he really resented it, and I understand why, but, I mean, to some degree, I love the fact that when they got a shot clock violation down there, it looks like the end of the Second World War in Times Square. The people jump up, and you're kissing nurses, and they go out of their minds, but... I don't know if I could keep watching games that are in the 40s like this, and I know he coaches to his talent. He's got them 20-7 and 7 and 11-5 and 5 in the league, and they kind of suck. <laughs> well,
3: now, Bob, I, I am not going to disagree with you about that. Uh, I think that they are a team that they're – his best teams have been teams that could not only guard you, but they could play offense too. Right. People seem to forget that that national championship team that they had, had four NBA players. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: And so, you know, and his best teams, uh, the one that uh, was Malcolm Brogdon uh, and Anthony Gill that lost that odd game in the elite eight to Syracuse. Uh, you know, there were a bunch of NBA players on that team too, but the difference with those teams is they could score, and if you look at this Virginia team, you know, an NBA scout told me, you know, Dan, their problem is their two best players can't shoot.
0: Mm. And he
3: was talking about he was talking about Ryan Dunn and Reese Beekman. Mm-hmm. And Reese Beekman, he does struggle from three every once in a while. Have a good game, but he, I mean, he does so much with his ability. He drives the ball to the basket. He makes mid-range jumpers, but the three-point shot is not one of his strengths. And Ryan Dunn, I mean, good heavens, yes, he defends. Yes, he blocks shots. Yes, he rebounds. Yes, he's very athletic. But, I mean, he can't even shoot free throws. That's right, uh, true. And so, you know, there's a, everybody's talking about wow, where he is on the NBA draft boards. Well, I don't know anything about the NBA except I know there's a lot of really athletic guys in the NBA. Uh, but it's just, you know, they they, they are so limited offensively. Uh, They don't have four NBA guys. And if they can make threes and they can turn you over, and more importantly, if they can play you from ahead or from – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they can beat you. Yep. But if you get them down, and I don't – you know, you don't have to get them down 30. If you can get them down by 8 or 10, then they just have a hard time coming back.
1: Yeah. The analogy I've given all the time is they remind me of an old wishbone football team. You know, the wishbone team, you know, they they love to play from the front. If you got ahead of them, they had trouble because they didn't ever throw the ball and they didn't like to throw the ball. That's Virginia. If they can just – if they get you even down six, you might as well be down 26. It's just – it's incredible the way they milk leads. But uh, I just – I mean, some of these numbers are just astounding – they, I mean, on both ends. They beat Miami 60-38. They beat Wake Forest 49-47. They lost to Virginia Tech 75-41. These look like middle school games.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, all that being said, they went down to Florida State, the place that's hard to win, and they put 80 on them. I know.
1: That's what I mean. Then they go do that. That's It's just they're, – they're, they're this is a very – and that's not a trademark of Tony's teams. They are usually as steady as the clock on the wall – but they're a little all over the map. At Florida State, they shot 10 of 18 behind the three-point line, 18 of 24 at the free-throw line. So, I mean, I don't know where that came from, but they were awfully good that day. It's, uh, it's remarkable.
3: And I think, I, th- I think that that is true of a lot of teams in the league, that there, uh, the teams out there can be pretty good on that particular day, and if you run into one of those teams who's pretty good on that particular day and you're not at the top of your game, you're going to lose that game.
1: So, I mean, Carolina's ranked 10th. They're ahead of Duke by half a game, who's now ranked 8th. People seem to now be on the Duke bandwagon that they think they're the better team. Are you? Who's better of those two?
3: Uh, I would go with North Carolina at this point. I think that uh, North Carolina has more weapons, although uh, it's not going to take much for me to shift over to Duke. I mean, uh, the, the McCain kid is you know suddenly starting to shoot the ball very well. Proctor has been hurt a little bit. Roach has been hurt a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're asking an awful lot of Filipowski, and so he has struggled. But, I mean, we're to the point of the year where now is the time to be playing your best basketball, or at least to start in the direction of playing your best basketball. And I just think that I'm not sure that North Carolina's best basketball is ahead of them, but I think Duke's is.
1: Yeah, I think that's you know that's a good point. I said that early in the year that I thought Carolina was the best team in the league, and it wasn't really that close. But I said I thought Duke had so much potential that if they could keep. You know, making moves up the ladder, they might be very close by the end. And in fact, some people, many people, in fact, have put Duke ahead of Carolina. So, as cliched as it may be, it's probably going to come down to those two, I would think, in the league. I I just listen. I'm a diehard ACC guy. You know that. Going back to my brother, but I just, I just don't feel like it's going to be a year where anybody makes a deep run. I really don't. I think that they just there's such a small margin for error that it's kind of like. asking somebody to play heads or tails four times in a row to get to the final four, because I don't see anybody that's going to win on an off night, for example. I mean, Carolina has, I thought they, after last year's disappointment, I thought they'd kind of, quote-unquote, solved it this year. And then they've looked kind of ordinary in some games. And, and Duke's still trying to get healthy, and they got a lot of young kids. I just, I don't know. I, but then again, I, I UConn was one of those teams – Dan, that I would have said, yeah, they've got it pretty well dialed in. And then they go and absolutely get blown out. I mean, Creighton just blew him out of the water, and Creighton's good, but I just saw them get beat uh, by Xavier the other night he did that game. So it's like – Well, if- I, think, I think that's what the interesting thing is, Bob. I don't think that in terms
3: of this year's NCAA tournament that it's really fair to look at one team and say, okay, can they do this? Can they get all the way? The question to be asked is who can do that
1: yeah
3: uh and obviously somebody's going to right but but you know because everybody's two teams don't lose the same game you know we have to have a champion right, uh, right. <laughs> but, so somebody's going to but you look all around the country you look all around the country and you know like that creighton team i i watched part of that game last night I mean, there were guys making three pointers from the chandeliers. <laughs> from the chandeliers. Uh, I mean, when that happens, when that happens, okay, it's a regular season Big East game. Uh, you're Dan Hurley. You can say, you know, we just got blitzed, uh, and you go on. And in the NCAA tournament, if that happens, you're going home, right? Uh, so I just I look around there and I think that the, the NCAA tournament, yes, Purdue is very good. Yes, UConn is very good. But that doesn't mean that they're going to – I mean, Purdue just lost to Ohio State, a team that fired their coach three days ago. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I can't – I've been doing this a long time, uh, and I can't explain this college basketball season. There's no rational uh, or logical processes that are going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know – well, uh, uh, Kierkegaard once said, life must be lived forward but can only be understood backward. That's going to be this college basketball season. When we're finished in March, we'll you will get together and we'll talk and it'll make perfect sense to us. We'll say, how did we not see that that, uh, that uh, Alabama was going to win the national championship? How, how did we not see that coming? But, uh, well, I think, Bob, if
3: we're really clever... We ought to get together and do that, and we ought to explain how we did see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We'll go back and we'll find snippets from the show. We'll edit it if we have to so that the sentences are like, yes, I think that Alabama is going to. Yeah, it yeah, be good. be very good. Uh, where, where are you going to? I assume you're going somewhere Saturday. What do you got next?
3: I've got uh, Purdue at Michigan Ooh. on uh, Sunday.
1: Oh, well, sorry about Michigan. That's uh... –
3: that's a bit. A well, play- now, again, that, that Michigan thing is one of the strangest things I've ever heard of. They have two different teams. They have one team that plays on the road and one team that plays at home. <laughs> uh, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's, I've never heard of that before. So, you know, we're talking about this being a weird college basketball season. But you go hard to win on the road, and I don't care who you are. Uh, And I know Michigan's in last place, but, you know, I've watched them on tape. Uh, They, what happens if they get hot? You know, Purdue's not the greatest defensive team in the world. Uh, And Michigan's got a bunch of guys who've shot the three very poorly in Big Ten play and who shot it much better in non-conference play. So what happens if Michigan gets hot? I I just don't think you can go into any college basketball game and say, okay, this team is going to, you know, run away with this. Uh, I, you know, it's just I don't believe that, at least not
1: in the major conferences. Yeah, I think you're right, my friend. Hey, the time flies when you're with us. Thanks, Dan. We appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Travel safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, Bob. Same to you. you right. Enjoy. Take care. Dan uh, Bonner with us here. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Let's play the uh, – it's the, kind of a stuff. The interns have We Want to Know Wednesday facts. Oh, I mean. all right. Well, we can do that. All right. Hey, hey, guys. How do you do? we got a minute. They don't have time maybe they can shoot through them real can fast. Can you do it tomorrow? What what is it is it is it evergreen? Will it last till tomorrow or is it dated? Like on this day in baseball or something like that.
0: Yeah. Did you guys do like on Are they this, coming in tomorrow? Or? I have similar stuff. All
2: right, just
0: shoot through real fast. All right, fine. Intern Cowboy, what do you got?
1: Tell strebel he doesn't have to come in at about 3.50.
2: So, February 21st is National Grain-Free Day, which encourages family and friends to get together and enjoy each other's company over grain-free meals. Today is also National Sticky Bun Day. <laughs> uh, today we and throughout to the rest of the week, we we to prevention to we the week. During this time, we are encouraged to raise awareness and draw attention to any ways people can actively protect themselves and others against cancer, such as wearing sun- sunblock, for example.
1: I, you know, Nick, you played that sounder and you drowned
2: out his question, so I didn't hear the second
0: part. Yeah, what, what, was, the, what was the cancer one again? Skin cancer?
2: Uh, just ge- cancer in general. Cancer awareness? Uh, cancer Prevention Action Week. Oh, okay. Is when? This week? This week. Okay. We
1: so those things are all kind of, like, contradictory. Yeah. Because if you have a green free meal... You're eating a meal that probably is going to increase your risk of cancer because the best way to to avoid cardiovascular disease and certain types of cancers is to eat f- food rich in greens and green leafy vegetables and things. And then you throw the national. Well, sticky I think I day. think it was grains. grains. I thought you said green free. Is it grains or greens? Grain. 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 No. so, oh. yeah. So you can you can eat. Oh, your I was going to say, who would eat a green free meal and advocate that? <laughs> oh, grain free meal.
0: Yeah. There okay. you go. All right. What else we got? Gager. All right, so not an on-this-day thing, but I came across a post, and it ranked all the major league ballparks based on how close they are to their nearest Chili's. Now, <laughs> as a, a Chili's one. fanatic myself, this caught my eye. Uh, 28 of the 30 MLB ballparks are within 14 miles of a Chili's. Uh, progressive field for the Cleveland Guardians is number one with being less than a mile from the nearest Chili's. But who are the two now, that aren't? Yeah, who are the, who are the the uh, number 29th ranked is, the, is Rogers Center for the Blue Jays, which is 85 miles away from the uh, Air which I understand. It's, it's Canada. Of, yeah. Maybe they just, you know. So who's the out American city, though? That's interesting. But what, what really caught my eye, number 30 is T-Mobile Park for the Seattle Mariners, 279 miles. To the nearest chilies. Yeah, so know. if you're in Seattle, I really hope you don't want chilies. Well, they must not serve coffee
1: or, or marijuana, I assume. That's why the people, <laughs> they don't have one near the ballpark.
0: All right, one more then for turn the road. Maximilian oh, the I guy. thought this
1: was a, wee, this was not a, this is not a hit or myth. This is a Alrighty, We Want to Know Wednesday. So oh,
3: this is good. Was, was doing some research and found that uh, Paul O'Neill's 61st birthday is on Sunday. Oh, uh, formerly, I know the Reds and Yankees. I think he played somewhere else. I'm not sure, though. But he's one of several MLB players to appear or be referenced on Seinfeld. Um, in the, the the episode where he's referenced, George Costanza's dad yells at George Steinbrenner because he traded away which player?
1: Oh, I got that one. That's easy. Jay Buhner. Yes. Yeah, how could you trade away Jay Buhner, <laughs> you jackass? He actually oh, only wait, played— He was so young— Well, he'd been logging some pretty heavy hours. First one
3: in in the morning, last one to leave at night. That kid was a human dynamo.
1: Are you sure you're talking about
2: George?
3: (laughs) You are, Mr. and Mrs. Costanza.
2: What the hell did you trade J.P.U.N.A. for? (laughs) He had 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's a great scene. By the way, Paul O'Neill only played for the Yankees and the Reds. Those are his only two teams. So how about that? And we'll play one over-under. Oh, did he have another, more facts? Is there more about this? Yeah.
3: I was just, just going to say, Jay Buhner, he didn't grow up here, but he was born in Louisville. No way! Found on his uh, baseball reference page.
1: Wow! Hey. Now that hey. I did not know. That was a good one. That's, that's a good that's We Want to we no right. we 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 Know Wednesday. to Know Wednesday. That was terrific. Good job, interns. We Want to Know Wednesday. All right, uh, I guess that wraps it up for us. Thank you, for everybody, for being part of a great show today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, sir or madam, Uh, whoever sent that. We appreciate that. Thank you for for, uh, participating. We had great participation today with the honor group of the day. That was fun. So uh, uh, we enjoyed that. All right, uh, Striebel's next. If you'll be at the game tonight, I'll see you there. If not, look for me on the sideline. Paul Rogers and I will be telling you about it no matter what happens. 530, coverage begins. Alex R. White coverage, 93.9 The Bill.
0: Bye. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too with video visits available 24 seven and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealthcom slash care anywhere. It's time to replace your heating and air system. We know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system.
1: Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling.
0: Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment?